So have you ever been to a restaurant that had a daily special, you know, like a special of the day? Well, Gary Kroger, a couple of months ago, opened up a a new restaurant uh, on Main Street in Cedar Falls, Iowa. And if you are a child of the 80s and love random information, this is the same Gary Kroger that was on Saturday Night Live for like three years. So he has a restaurant now, and the name of his restaurant is Figaro, Figaro. That's the name of the restaurant, Figaro, Figaro is the name of the restaurant. Um, His restaurant has a lot of daily specials. It's kind of designed with a lot of different daily specials. Uh, Before it opened, this is what he said about it. Our concept is going to be fine dining that's fun. This table is yours tonight. You're going to have fun. You're going to have great food, great service, and maybe a server will break into song. It's going to be fun. It's the whole idea. Incidentally, I, I went on the website this week, and you can, you can click on a reservation and, you know, go have fun. So if you're in Cedar Falls, I guess, go have fun. But there's a picture of, of how this all came about. According to Brandon Pollock of the Cedar Valley Business Monthly, he said that, that Kroger got this idea when he went to Italy. It seems that he was at a restaurant, and he was seated at a table with a family from Sweden. And this is what he said. They couldn't speak English, and I didn't speak Swedish. But we could all sing songs. It was the best evening of dinner I've ever had. I love everything about this. They could not talk to one another, and someone at some point decided to start singing a song. And then all of a sudden, the rest of them sang songs, and they spent the whole dinner just singing songs. So the singing of the songs became their common language. And really, in a way, that became the daily special of that dinner, just the ability to communicate. Listen, you may not know this, but every single day of your life, there's a daily special in your life. Every single day of your life, you are speaking a language. Yes, you are speaking a a verbal language, but you are also speaking a spiritual language. Every day you're speaking a spiritual language. So, what daily spiritual language are you speaking? And are you fluent? Or do you just know a couple of words enough to get by? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what language you are speaking. I mean, can't you just speak kind of whatever language works for you? Well, let's see, and let's find out. We're going to look this morning at Luke 14, beginning with verse 27. Jesus says, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So Jesus says there's only one daily special. Jesus says there's only one language, and that language is the language of the cross. If you're a Christian, the language that you've been called to use is the language of the cross. If you're not a Christian, the language that your soul is longing to use is the language of the cross. Even if you don't feel that in your mind, even if you don't feel that in your heart, that is what your soul longs to speak. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that a person's soul longs to speak the language of the cross? Well, the wisest and richest man who ever lived on the earth, he once wrote this, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. He, God, has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. Yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. So King Solomon, 
a real man, a real king who really lived on the earth for about 60 years, about 3,000 years ago. A real king who, who could, keep, he could keep buying the world over and over, the whole world. He could keep buying the, the whole world over and over again until the world comes to an end as we know it. He was just that rich. That king, that wise man, that rich man, he understood that he did not magically appear in Jerusalem one day because of some magic fairy dust that was sprinkled on some basket from an Egyptian stork. Okay? He, he understood that he was fearfully and wonderfully created by the one true living God. He got that. And he understood that that same God put inside of him a desire for eternity. A desire for something that is beyond just this earth. In other words, a desire for something after death. Eternal life. That desire cannot be fulfilled on this earth. At least not completely. It can be fulfilled a little bit, you know. When we sing songs about Jesus, when we sing songs about salvation, when we gather to worship, we're, we're experiencing a little bit of satisfaction in what it means that, that eternity has come to us. But we cannot completely enjoy that eternity here. You see, the, the work of God for the soul of a person, for the, the joy, the peace, the satisfaction of a person's soul, that work cannot fully be known until that soul has graduated from this earth. Now, the wisest and richest man in the universe, he, he knew that. He understood that. He didn't have a problem with that at all. He had enough money to buy everything. He had enough money to be smarter than everybody else, but he understood that he did not create himself, and he knew that in his heart, eternity had been set. So if King Solomon didn't have a problem with this, why do so many of us why is it that a, that a non-Christian has such a problem with the sovereign work of God over creation and life and death? Well, it's because either adamantly they don't believe in God or, or casually they just don't care to believe in God. But, but here's the kicker. Why is it that so many professing Christians seem to have a problem with the sovereign work of God over creation and life and death? Well, if we're honest, it's probably because if we really look at our hearts, we, we'll find that every day we're kind of trying to recreate God in our own image. See, we really want God to handle things and make decisions the way that we handle things and the way that we make decisions. See, there's, there's a language problem. We, we tend to push against the language of the cross. We tend to want to use our own language. So what is the language of the cross? Well, we're going to get there in just a sec. But, but before we get there, just two more quick posts about this picture of eternity being set in our hearts. Pastor and author F.B. Meyer said this, God made man in his own image, and nothing more surely attests to the greatness of our origin than those faculties of the soul which are capable of yearning for, conceiving, and enjoying the infinite, the immortal, and the divine. So your faculties were, were created with this great ability to enjoy the greatness of God. 
So, so don't try to fight against your faculties, you know. And, and don't try to fill those faculties just with the people and the things of this world. Meyer goes on to say this, Every appetite in nature and grace has its appropriate satisfaction. Every appetite in your life, every appetite in the universe has an appropriate satisfaction. There's, there's something that makes it satisfied. And what makes it satisfied, everything in the universe, including all of our appetites, those appetites are satisfied only in the infinite, immortal, divine, all-seeing, all-knowing, all-loving, all-doing, one true living God. That's it. But that's where our appetites are satisfied. You see, the appetite of your soul will not be satisfied by you. It won't be satisfied by you. It won't be satisfied by your family. It won't be satisfied by your friends. It won't be satisfied by your education or your career or your job. It won't be satisfied by your house. It won't be satisfied by your vacations. It won't be satisfied by your hobbies. It won't be satisfied by any other thing in your life, not even your retirement plan. The appetite of your soul will not be satisfied in those things. The appetite of your soul will not be satisfied with the tigers or the gamecocks or the paladins or the bulldogs or the bearcats or the eagles or the war eagles or the gators or the knights or the falcons or the timberwolves and whoever else your team is, right? The appetite of your soul will never ultimately be satisfied with a new smartphone or a new hit on your social media page, or a new boyfriend, or a new girlfriend, or, or a new dress, or, or new shoes, or a new dining room table, or a new prescription medicine. See, all of those things are, are good and, and positive, and, and they can have a great impact on our life, but none of those things will satisfy the appetite of your soul. They aren't designed to. They can't. 1,600 years ago, in the very first paragraph of the 13 books that became known as the Confessions of Augustine, this is what he said. Thou hast prompted him, meaning man, woman, humans, thou hast prompted him that he should delight to praise thee, for thou hast made us for thyself, and restless is our heart until it comes to rest in thee. How can you get your heart off the runaway train of stress and strain and fear and worry and anxiety and restlessness? How can your heart find real, true, lasting peace and joy and rest for your heart and your mind and your soul? That kind of rest only comes from God. Only comes from God. So, so how, do we, how do we get that rest? Well, that's where the language of the cross comes in. See, Jesus was, was pretty popular out on the concert tour. I mean, people were following him around, and everywhere he went, when he would stop, they couldn't wait to, to hear him preach and, and teach. This was a great time for him to capitalize on his popularity. Everybody was into Jesus. And so what does he do? Well, on this one day, he turns to the crowd and he says this, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, when the crowd heard this, they would not have thought 
about the little cross in the pocket you can pick up at the Christian bookstore, you know. When they heard this, they, they would not have thought about going to the jewelry store and, and getting a little gold cross to add to their necklace or their charm bracelet. They would not have even thought about a, a beautiful living cross out in front of the church with fresh flowers on Easter Sunday. None of those things would have crossed their minds. No, everybody in that crowd, when they heard Jesus say this, either in their mind or with their mouths, they would have let out a loud gasp. Pastor Greg Allen put it this way. For those who first heard these words from Jesus, the cross was not a symbol at all. Rather, it was a gruesome reality that they saw very often in life. He goes on. It was a form of execution invented by the Romans that was among the most cruel, most demoralizing, most humiliating the human mind could imagine. And look like this. To crucify a man was to expose him naked and battered for public ridicule and shame. It was to pin him bleeding in agony to beams of wood suspended by his arms until the life was slowly drained out of him. And then he says this. It was something so terrible that it was reserved for the vilest of criminals and scoundrels, the scum of the earth. So Jesus is going to be starting a new church. He's got a crowd of people around him. Maybe some of those people were looking for a church. They were looking for a church that had you know, good preaching and, and good music and good programs for the kids and the youth, good programs for the senior adults and the married couples. A church that had good facilities with nice bathrooms and, and comfortable chairs. A church that, that had good mission projects and did charitable things in the community. A church that had good pastoral care and, and hospital visitation. And those things are all good. They all have their place. But Jesus turns to this crowd and he says, so my church involves something that only the scum of the earth normally get. But hey, if you join my church, you can get it too. <laughs> Doesn't sound like much of a sales pitch, right? You see Peter and Bartholomew over on the side of the crowd. Got a couple of folding tables set up. You know, Bartholomew's got the, the donuts and the coffee, you know, for people to come over. And, and then Peter, he's sitting at a table with a big banner that says, Scum Church, you know, sign up here to join. This all sounds very over the top. I mean, who does Jesus think he is demanding that people would, would follow after him, that they would take up a cross and follow after him? See, these crowds, they, they were thinking that one day soon, Jesus was going to have this, this palace of a megachurch somewhere inside the city of Jerusalem, like a, a prime spot. But see, Jesus knew that one day soon, he was going to be executed on a barren spot outside the city of Jerusalem. And why? Why was that going to happen? Well, that was going to happen because Jesus was going to take on the penalty of my sin and your sin. That's why it happened. Years later, Peter wrote this, 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Jesus Christ bore the sin of the world in his own body on the cross. And if you're a sinner, that's some super good news. 
And if you're a sinner and you're a believer, that is super great news. Jesus has bore all of your sin. All of it. Not just one or two things. He's bore all of it. You know, we live in a world, and we've been reminded this week, where there is sin and there is evil spreading out in every corner of the globe. Not just by deranged, violent people. But see, my sin and your sin, we add to the spread every day. And sometimes the the spread of sin in our personal lives or around us, it gets so great that we're just full of pain and hurt and anger and frustration. There's, There's turmoil, there's chaos. And sometimes that pain and that hurt and that anger and that frustration, that turmoil, that chaos, it's, it's just too much. We are overwhelmed. And in that moment, where's the hope for a Christian? Where's a Christian's hope in the middle of chaos? Where's a Christian's hope in the middle of turmoil? Where's a Christian's hope in the middle of pain and hurt? It's, it's right here. He himself He bore our sins in his own body on the cross. That's our hope. That's what we cling to. Jesus substituted himself for you. Jesus took your penalty. He was innocent, but he took your penalty. And he paid it. He satisfied it. You see, if we're walking down the road and and I see you walking across the road, notice you don't see a car coming at you. I might in that moment jump out and and try to rescue you in that moment. That's not what happened with the cross. Jesus didn't suddenly at the end go, oh, I need to run up to the cross and and die for the sin of the world. No, the cross was always the plan. It, It was his mission. It was the purpose. So, do you believe in the message of the cross? Have you believed in the message of the cross? Do you believe in in what Jesus did for you on the cross? Have you repented? Have you turned to Jesus? Have you received his salvation? If you have, then you should be able to to pray yourself to sleep at night with something that, that sounds a little like this. John Piper writes, I trust you, Jesus, that all my sins all the ones that are public and all the ones that are private, all of them have been lifted, born, suffered for, and therefore removed from me. And he says this, I bear them no more. I do not carry their guilt into the future with me. Got some guilt? Dealing with some guilt in your life? See, that... That's that's why we go to the language of the cross. See, the the language of the cross, it it moves us to this sentence. I bear them no more. I, I bear them no more. Piper goes on. You do not have to carry your sins or be burdened by them. You do not have to wake up with guilt or go to bed with guilt. You can bank your hope on the commitment of God in Jesus, not in you, not in you, but but in Jesus. The commitment of God in Jesus to make sure that through Jesus we will not bear our sin anymore. 
If that is the theme song of your life, I bear my sin no more. If that's your theme song, then I want you to know you will have absolutely no problem taking up your cross and joining the Scum Avenue Baptist Church. You know, it just won't be a deal. You, you won't care. You won't look at Jesus. Jesus, you're asking too much. No, because your song is just going over and over. And over. I will no longer bear my sin. Where are we going, Jesus? Where are we going? I'll follow wherever you lead. Apostle Paul, he said this, Galatians 6, verse 14. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, if there's ever been anybody that had some qualifications that they could boast about, it's Paul. I mean, the guy was crazy intelligent. He was highly influential. He was super accomplished in life. And yet he says, the only thing I'm going to boast about is I'm just going to boast in the cross of Jesus. Now, when we hear that, it, it may not have a, a big impact on us today. I mean, we, you know, we sit in a room that you know, has several crosses you know, decorating the room and, and decorating the church building. We got crosses on the pen, on the bulletin. Yeah, so, so the cross is, is a symbol that is, is real to us. It's serious to us, but, but we see them all over the place. But remember, Paul's not writing for today. He's writing not in 2018. He's writing in a time when the cross was still a gruesome reality. See, to use the word cross was not a way to win friends and influence people. No, the, the cross, it was hated. It was despised. If you were at a, a dinner party in Roman culture, you would not use the word cross because it was despicable to even be used. And so the author and the founder and the finisher and the perfecter of our faith was executed in a manner on the cross that was normally only reserved for the most violent criminals, for the meanest serial killers, and for any known terrorist around town. And yet Jesus says, take up that and follow him. Now, let's see if we can get a little uncomfortable for a minute, okay? So, do you think that you would have been one of the first Christians? I mean, really, let's just, let's just think through it for, uh, for each of us, for our individuals. Just think through that. You know, would I have been one of the first Christians? If there was no sanctuary, no pew, no stained glass, no organ, no piano, if there was no smiling preacher who kept his sermon usually less than 30 minutes, give or take, would you have followed Jesus? If there was no cool contemporary praise band, no happening events for, for kids and, and youth, or, or any ages for that matter, would, would you have followed Jesus? Let's squirm a little more. Think about how you do life. How do you do life? How do you make decisions? What are your personal preferences? All right, let's take all of those things and let's transport them 2,000 years ago into the time of Christ. How you think about life and religion and, and the way you do things, and you put all of that into this moment of the cross. Do you think that based on how you think about life that, that you would have been the first people to say, yeah, Jesus, I'll take up my cross and follow after you? Because here's the thing. In that time and even after the resurrection, the cross, it was, 
It was scandalous. Jesus was a scoundrel who was crucified on a scandalous cross. Listen, if we're honest, we would probably, if we look at our lives, we would be more likely to dive in with the false teachers or the rebellious Jews or the arrogant Pharisees than we would those first Christians. Because it would cost, it would demand that that we would be different and think different and have different preferences. And we may not get everything that we're looking for in a church. And we may not get everything that we're looking for in a job or a spouse or our kids or a house or anything else. It was somewhat scandalous to say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to follow after Jesus. And the cross, it was, it was a gruesome reality. And so what does Paul say? Yeah, boast in that. That's strange math. Take the scandalous cross, that gruesome reality, boast in that. Boast in what Jesus did on the cross. Boast in that scandal, because in that scandal, there's, there's life. You see, the cross, it's this unbelievable plan of God to send his son into the world And the cross shows us that the Son has carved a way for us to be redeemed and rescued. And the cross, it it reminds us that we can be forgiven and we can be free. The cross reminds us that there is coming a day where we will hear the Savior say with full and final and eternal authority, Father, not guilty. I bore His sin in my own body. On the cross. Father, not guilty, I bore her sin in my own body on the cross. See, that's the language of the cross. Is, Is that our language? Is that how we speak? Is that how we think? Is that how we act? A. W. Tozer said this The old cross slew men, the new cross entertains them. The old cross condemned, the new cross amuses. The old cross destroyed confidence in the flesh, the new cross encourages confidence in the flesh. The new cross. I mean, how, how, did, our, how did our world get to where it is today? I mean, when, when did we start preaching this new cross? Well, Tozer wrote this in the 1950s. So, It's been a long time since the gospel's been disappearing in our culture. In fact, if we really want to look at it, if we want to find a generation that really was sold out to the cross language, we would have to go back to a couple of generations of angels before the Garden of Eden. You see, the the new cross will pull us away from the language of the Savior. That repentance, that commitment that Jesus demanded in mercy. In mercy. This is loving language. Jesus is a rescuer and a Savior. This is loving language. Jesus, he turns to this crowd that day and with mercy and compassion and love and and very clearly he says, look, if you If you cannot take up your cross and follow, you you can't 
be my disciple. You, you just, you can't do it. David Guzik said this about what it meant to take up your cross in that day. If someone took up his cross, he never came back. He, he never came back. He's gone. So the picture of being a disciple of Jesus Christ means that you have died to being a disciple of anyone else. Died to being a disciple of anything else, including yourself. Everything changes. You, you have one purpose. You have one mission. You have one passion now. And it's all filtered through the authority and the power and the love of the cross. I like how Luke Duncan describes this. It means to renounce anything that challenges our allegiance to the kingdom of God. All right? Sounds good. What does that mean? What does that look like? What would challenge our allegiance to God? He goes on. We are to renounce our yearning to possess things, our desire for power, the favor of men, and human glory if any of those things challenge or diminish the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to seek first the kingdom. And he says this, and we are to deny ourselves. Deny ourselves. Man, this is crazy talk, right? I mean, doesn't, doesn't the world tell us that that if we're going to make it, if we're going to find our place in this world, if we're going to reach our dreams, if we're going to succeed, then we have to find ourselves and we have to believe in ourselves? Why in the world would we listen to Jesus call us to do the opposite? Why would we respond to a call from Jesus to deny ourselves and to throw all of our allegiance to him? Why would we do that? Because he himself bore our sins in his own body. Friend, that is the daily special. And listen, that is the language that your soul is longing to carry.